Welcome back to another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain. Uh, today, I am really excited to have John Sfiokla join us. Uh, John and I go way back, and and uh, back into, it's our McDonald's days, wasn't it, John? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and uh, let me just put some context around that. So, at McDonald's, and this would have been... 90s, I think. So it was when companies were trying to figure out what to do about the internet and really in fundamental ways, like should we have a website was uh, was one of the uh, issues back then. And if we have a website, what do we do with it? And what I remember conversations with you back in those early days uh, to to people like you and I, Having a website seemed obvious. The The real question was, what are you going to do about trade? What are you going to do about reformulating your business around a different fundamental dynamic when it came to how do you sell goods? Where do you sell goods? I remember a paper, in, and I assume you were involved in this. It was a white paper we did within McDonald's. It was for the executive team. And I remember we put together a an image of a Nokia, Nokia phone. And it was, so this was uh, just slightly past the days of flip phones. And I remember that I had constructed with some art folks from McDonald's Marketing a screen that had icons of French fries and a hamburger and I put it on the phone, and it was in the white paper, and I used uh, a part of that paper to describe one day you must imagine that people will be able to order via their phone food from McDonald's. And I remember people arguing with me violently that that will never happen. Yep. And it's, you know, many of the things we talked about back then, John— have come to pass. And so what I want to talk about today, Venzi, uh, you and I talked about months and months ago, and and you got particularly excited about applying compute-based platforms to the world of supply chain. And uh, we were golfing at the time, and I remember thinking, we should put down our clubs and just go grab a whiteboard and talk about this. But we didn't. We finished out our game. I think you won. But what I want to talk about, so first, um, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Venzi. You've just joined the Venzi Board of Directors, and we're honored to have you. Um, I'm honored to be on board. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about what you think when you intersect the paper and manual process of today's supply chain, which is been fundamentally unchanged for 5,000 years. What do you think the power of compute intersecting with supply chain means? And are we are we capable of understanding the impacts of that? Yeah. I, well, first, uh, it's delightful to be here and be with you, John. And, and I'm so proud to be part of the, the Vincent family now. Um, and it's really a lot of why you know I accepted your invitation to join is that um, back in, actually back in the 90s, we wrote this paper where we talked about exploiting the virtual value chain. So you have a physical value chain, you have a virtual value chain. And that information value chain, that virtual value chain um, has a bunch of implications that we can see and then all kinds that we can't, 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what's, what, let's bring it down from 50,000 feet down a bit. Uh, fundamentally, he or she who has the better information value chain wins. Hmm. Okay. And the, the reason for that is when you think about, okay, let's say I've got an a, a information description in my supply chain. So where the stuff is, what's in the box, you know, what its status is and so forth, right? There's three things that I can do immediately. These, this is in the land of the, of the stuff we understand. First of all, I just have way more visibility. And anybody who's ever done anything in supply chain knows if I can see two weeks in, somebody can see two days in, I win. Full yep. stop. Right, whether you're fighting a war, you know, uh, getting McDonald's food, whatever it is, right? And there's lots of reasons for that, right? You can buy better, you can control better, you know, stuff stolen, everything. Okay, um, and then you lay all the lovely um, technologies, much of which was designed in World War II, you know, linear programming, optimization, queuing theory, all that other stuff. You just you can optimize the living daylights out of that physical value chain because you have a better information value chain. Um, okay, so there's that. The second thing is substitution, right? Right. Uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, Walmart and their efficient consumer response. And, you know, when something gets scanned across the Walmart, um, you know, scanner, it, it creates demand further up the supply chain. Okay, well, that's a general principle that if I can sense instead of predict, right, I can substitute information for inventory. And we've seen lots of that stuff. And then there's all kinds of other funky stuff that can happen, like, I mean, you know, and, and your listeners probably know, back before uh, efficient consumer supply chain, fully 50%, 50% of all the stuff in a uh, supermarket shelf went through diverters. So guys and gals would buy on deals, stuff at the warehouse, and then sell it back to you at a higher price than what they bought it for. Sure. Okay, well, a lot of that stuff went away. But there's all kinds of new trading that can happen as people have the information. Okay. And, you know, sometimes like folks like FedEx can't trade on that information. Folks like Amazon, we don't know yet if they can trade on that information. So it's really interesting. So the primary effect is substitution, and then you get all kinds of other stuff. Then the third thing is, if I've got a better information value chain, virtual value chain than you do in the supply chain, and if I can get a bi what bilateral message, if I can communicate, not just sense, then every contact point becomes a market. And what I mean by that is, hey, you bought this. How about this? Hey, you bought this. Do you want to subscribe to this? Hey, you bought this. We have this other stuff. Hey, you were looking for this. We don't have that anymore. How about this one? And you're creating a market because when you sit back and you think about it, and you're a dull guy like me who thinks about this stuff all the time, you know, the uh, you say, wow, actually, when everything is informationalized, it's no longer a chain. It's really a matrix because mm. I can... Because I can see the stuff going through, but then there's all kinds of other things I can sense, and I can I can market into that. Okay, uh, and you see it with suggestive selling in Amazon, which some people say is responsible for five to twenty percent of their volume and so forth. That's an example of not just uh, a better information value chain, but I'm actually making it into a market. Every time I sense demand, I, I can do it, and so forth. So those are three things that are just super clear and. Um, anyway, let me pause there. I've got some other things and how it relates to what we're doing at Benzie and things like that, if you want. Well, it, it, thank you. And those three things, you can unpack any of them really all day. And I, I don't mean that 24 hours. I mean, there is a lot to those. And I want to start with something 
maybe your your last comment is to me almost the most profound. It's no longer a chain that is linear, but a network that you can interact with any point in the network directly. And I think that consumers can also enter into that network in ways that they have not been able to before. So often when we talk about supply chain, we talk about things that happen between the manufacturer and their suppliers or between the manufacturer and the retailer. But interestingly enough, I'm curious if you see it the same way, consumers are almost always excluded from that discussion. So supply chain happens before it gets to the consumer and the consumer is just, ah, you know, it's the last link or it's the last piece or they're not relevant. And I think the things you're talking about also draw consumers in, in a way that functions within the supply network can now take signals all the way from the consumer and act on them. And I don't think that almost any current uh, supply chain discussion, and you can go into academia with that, does not include the consumer. It's about optimizing flow at really low levels, like 3% improvement, because I have a little bit more visibility. And it is not as transformational or as fundamentally significant as involving the consumer in a supply network. So I want to key on that last point you made, because we are at the point where we can shift from a chain and a linear chain at that to a mesh or a network. And I'm curious, is that how is anybody prepared for that? Uh, yeah, uh, very, very few, if any, are prepared for that. Uh, there are some that are closer than others. But I, first of all, I totally agree with your analogy. And the thing that sometimes it makes people's brain hurt when you go from say it was a nice chain because chains are things we understand, right? I mean, we've been around forever, and you know, A to B to C to D to E to F, and you know, you experience it. I think it's really important to understand that the chain doesn't go away. It's just that there's a higher level concept, which is the network, because every hierarchy or every chain is simply one projection of a network. It's just one way through a network, one path through whatever language projection is in a more mathematical language. But, you know, so so what's fundamentally happened with the Internet and GPS and container shipping is that we are essentially operating a network that we look at as a chain. Mm. And what we have to start doing is look at it as a network that we project into a chain or whatever else we want. You know, that's just one format. So it's the, that's the figure ground that's moved. So are people, and I mean this in truly humans, who are, um, who are responsible for so many elements of that chain, so many parts of that connection, it, it, two things here. Uh, one, are humans fundamentally capable of managing in a network framework? The other is how quickly are humans being displaced? Because I think the first, the first question is fairly obvious to me. They are not capable, uh, meaning you can't manage inbound container flow at a port with a clipboard, yet we are still doing that 
in in almost every case. And so, A, humans aren't capable of managing a container that shows up at port with 20,000 containers, and, and that's just beyond human management. And second, then, if the machines, if the computers are going to be an asset and help us optimize in a more substantial way, uh, where are we in that? And so really two questions. Are we capable? And how do, the, how do the computers begin to take over? Yes. Well, I think that we are not capable with our previous tools, just mm-hmm. like you couldn't move pallets of stuff without a forklift, right? I mean, so I think we have to, and if you look at the you know, literature on network-centric warfare, for example, you mm-hmm. know, which, is, which has been talked about and started to be implemented for a couple decades now, that you can't expect a soldier without you know, satellite information, shared information environment, you know, what's the status of the F-16 flying in the air and can I call in a strike and all that. I mean, yeah, you can't, you can't do network-centric warfare without a new information platform. You can't do physical container ships without forklifts and new cranes and blah, blah, blah. So absolutely. And we have a lot of people now, you know, it's the equivalent of, you know, the guy with a, 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 the information dolly trying to move the pallet, you know, mm. it's going to work. You know, mm. uh, and how you train people and how you think about safety and everything, you know, it's different. So, no, we're asking people to do things that they can't do with the current uh, information environment, technology and management systems. We are not far. I think, you know, I, I spent uh, seven years at Cardinal Health and Cardinal Health is a medical products or at least my portion of the business was medical products. And we had distribution centers all over the United States. And every distribution center I'd go into, there was a metal desk um, sort of back by the dock door. And there was a person. And, and he was, typically it was a he. He was responsible for, with his clipboard, paying attention to what was coming in the door. I contrast that with some of our partners in Germany, specifically, where there was no desk at the door. It was lights out. The, the truck pulled up to the door, an automated forklift pulled the pallet out. It went into the warehouse and was disassembled or repackaged or what have you. That, to me, is an incremental change, uh, meaning we're moving from Joe at the dock door and the metal desk and clipboard to a little bit more mechanization, optimizing one particular point and doing it with a little bit of automation. I think the things we're talking about are acting on all different points of that supply network. They're, they're happening all at once. And I think any organization, and I don't mean to put Cardinal Health in a bad light, we did really amazing things. And we're the, uh, Gartner used to rank us as the number one healthcare supply chain on the planet. Yet, there is so much opportunity for improvement, which is why I asked the basic question, are we ready for this? And are there people that are doing a good job with it? My assessment is we're not really ready. We're not really capable of understanding the various implications of the change. And so it's very hard. I talk to investors all the time and I say, hey, What's happening is big. It is substantially going to change how the supply chain operates. And there is no corollary to give them. And so 
maybe uh, apologies for the long uh, uh, setup for this question, but is there a corollary that we can look at? Is it, it did something happen in banking or in some other industry? Absolutely, yeah. I think if you look at the program trading um, and you know the the evolution of you know the role of the broker dealer and what they're doing now, um, and one concept I think that I find useful is. Uh, in the old days or traditional stuff or something that hasn't been digitized yet, the information flow goes along with the physical flow or the, or the organization, right? So it's like, you know, if it was the Mississippi River, like the people and the information flow together. Mm. What happens here is that your first implementation is like that, but now the information can flow anywhere. It can flow mm. up top, it can flow whatever. It doesn't have to sit like, because when the guy was at Cardinal the Dock, a lot of the information was bound to the physical location. Yes. Well, you know, um, same thing was true in the old days of um, security trades, right? Like I had to give it to the specialist and the specialist had to do the trade, the trade had to come back, blah, blah, blah. Right, what do we have now? We just have, uh, we have contracts that sit in a cloud of information and whoever has, wants access to the contracts, and by the way, there's all kinds of dark pools and stuff trading inside, right? So there's much more over the counter than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, what you have is that you have the underlying things, first of all, are traded instantaneously. Pieces of those are picked off, volatility, things like that. So subsets are picked off and new contracts are created. So I look at the physical supply chain. I mean, uh, and this happens in some markets like oil and so forth, but the better information value chain that we have, first of all, I can have way more control and you know, uh, you know, uh, decrease um, thievery, um, increase availability, increase status. Because a lot of times you can make a customer happy just by status, even if you can't get it there. Mm. Yeah. So you have all that. Then you have substitutes. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm shipping this. You know, that's going to be too late, but this, this would do, or at least I can ask the customer about that. And then you have trading of that activity. It's like, oh my goodness, this customer no longer wants it. Is there somebody else I can sell this to? Right. The, the number of, uh, uh, facets that digitization of of the supply chain creates uh, is is uh, to me really um, it's mind boggling and and we've chewed up twenty minutes and barely scratched the surface. So what I'm going to suggest is uh, you come back for another episode and we're going to pick a facet, just one facet, and we're going to mine that facet. And I'd like to start with a guesstimate of how much value gets unlocked. And so let's pick, let's start with a value discussion, and then we're going to mine into one facet of the digitization of supply chain and see where we go. And that will suck up, no doubt, a full episode. Uh, so, hey, John, uh, really great talking to you again. Uh, we will we will have you back on the next episode and look forward to the discussion. Awesome, John. My pleasure. It's great to be here. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rethinking Supply Chain, sponsored by Venzi. If something we said today resonated with you, Please subscribe to the podcast at RethinkingSupplyChain.com and share this episode with your network. You can also learn more about Venzi at Venzi.com. Thanks for listening.